0: Welcome and let's first talk compliance. I'm Catherine Short, Partnership Marketing Specialist at First Healthcare Compliance. Thanks for tuning in. You can follow First Healthcare Compliance on Twitter at FirstHCC or on Facebook and Instagram at First Healthcare Compliance or hashtag FirstTalkCompliance. On today's episode, I'm talking to Christy Grant Hart, founder and CEO of Spark Compliance Consulting, about her brand new book. How to Have a Wildly Successful Career in Compliance. We will discuss how her book is great for those who are curious about becoming part of the compliance profession but don't know what the options are, or how to get a place in the profession where they want to go. Christy Grant Hart is an expert at making compliance officers in-demand business assets. She's the author of the book, How to Be a Wildly Effective Compliance Officer and the Wildly Strategic Compliance Officer Workbook. She's the CEO of Bark Compliance Consulting and is a professional speaker, author, former professor at Delaware Law School, Widener University, a thought leader in the compliance profession, and is uh, previously the chief compliance officer at United International Pictures. She can be found at www.compliancechristie.com. So Christy, welcome to First Talk Compliance. I'm so excited you've joined us today.
1: Wow, that was was quite an intro. Thank you so much. It's very exciting to be here.
0: Yes, thank you so much. So let's jump right in. Why did you decide to write this particular
1: book? Well, in in my speaking, um, I've come across so many compliance officers that have um, wondered how to move their career forward. And I probably get email once a day from someone saying, how do I get into compliance? What do I do? I don't like where I'm at. What else can I do? Where can I go to move up? There's only one person above me in compliance, and he's never leaving. So uh what do I do? And I really thought that there was a, a need in our industry, not just for a, a career book that's really broad, but really Specific to compliance. How do you move up? What do you do? Uh, What can you do to prepare yourself? And how do we work collaboratively so that we're in a really good position if we ever need to get a new job or to try to move up in our current firm? So what constitutes to you a wildly successful career in compliance? Well, I think that it's individual to every person, but to me, a wildly successful career is one that continues to have you be challenged in interesting ways, but also to you know, meet people in the profession, to feel like you're making a contribution, uh, both to your company and to society as a whole. So it's not any one place, it's more feeling that what you've done matters and that you've contributed in a way that is powerful and important. So, in your book, you describe several areas
0: that people have for a career in the compliance field. You give lots of different options. So, many people think solely of corporate or healthcare compliance, but there are other paths to take. Can you describe some of the
1: paths that you mention in the book? Yeah, absolutely. So when I started to write the book, one of my challenges was that uh, I've been in, in several areas. I've been in private practice uh, at Gibson Dunn, doing corporate monitorships. I've been in-house, the director of compliance and chief compliance officer, and now I own uh, a consulting company that's in uh, London, Los Angeles, and Atlanta, um, but I've never been in financial services compliance. And I've never been in healthcare. I've I've not been in government. So I I think that part of the challenge is people say they're working in financial services, they get into the compliance space, and they don't really think about, well, what happened if I wanted to go into healthcare? Or uh, people call me a lot and say, you know, I've I've been a chief compliance officer. I want to start consulting. How do I do that? And, And vendors who call me and say, listen, we've got these great tech solutions, but we don't really know what someone in-house wants. Can you help us with that? So I think that there is a huge opportunity for people to say, okay, I'm here. Where else could I go? And if I want to go somewhere else, who do I need to meet now in order to get there? How do I build relationships or write articles or blog posts or um, start to reach out to find mentors in a different area or field that I might want to go into So by looking at the broader compliance uh, universe, really, um, it can really expand your horizons as to what's possible within the profession.
0: So that leads very much into what I was thinking next about you talk in the book about how people now more frequently move across kind of like a, a jungle gym instead of we typically think about moving, you know, straight up a corporate ladder. From one position into another position of leadership, into another position of leadership, just like a corporate ladder. But you mentioned moving or climbing a corporate uh, jungle gym.
1: Could you describe what you mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that the original uh, metaphor came out of Lean In from Sheryl Sandberg's book, but I decided to apply it to compliance. uh, Yeah, I've got to give credit to (laughs) Sheryl. She's fantastic. (laughs) Um, But the idea that there's just one ladder and there's just one position, particularly in compliance. I mean, so many times, even in huge companies, there's one compliance base, one or two. And how do you upskill so that you're more valuable? And One of the things that a lot of compliance folks are finding is if they can do a stint, perhaps with other operations, maybe you can do some internal auditing for a year, um, ask salespeople to let you go on some calls with them. Um, try out some middle management somewhere. Um, learn about the organization in different ways or in different places so that you can actually uh, make new relationships, find new mentors, get a better understanding of the business. And that breadth of skill set can really set you up in numerous different ways, um, whether you're working in, you know, the, the traditional ones are legal, audit, human resources. When you've gone into some of that or sales and marketing, then you have a different skill set and a different conversation that you can have with people in the organization because that breadth of knowledge can make you even more valuable than if you just simply climbed up from one rung to another.
0: I think that's so valuable if, especially if you're thinking perhaps if you wanted to eventually go into
1: If you wanted to be the chief compliance officer, I would suppose. Yeah, well, most people uh, in the profession want to go there. And to be a really good one, uh, honestly, those other experiences, particularly if you need a network in the organization to support you, having that is so critical. And and one of the best ways to get there is simply to try out some other pieces or at least um, dabble in them so that you've got a broader experience base to draw from.
0: Right. So you understand all those different moving pieces about really what's going on in the entire in the entire organization. That's right. right. So why is the understanding of the numbers and business plan so important to a compliance professional? A lot of people, maybe they don't feel like they're a numbers person. Why is that
1: so important? yeah um I definitely have been one of those people I'm a lawyer by trade uh, mm-hmm. who's joke that I went to law school because I didn't understand math right <laughs> so right. it's um, a common uh, statement by uh, by people I think in our profession um, but what I have definitely learned is is it is so critical to understand revenue and profit what the difference is between those what what the share prices of your company is it going up or down and the reason those numbers are so important is because you can't really do your job unless you understand the financial environment in, in which you operate. Uh, my first meeting when I was the director of compliance, uh, Europe, Middle East and Africa at Carlson Wagonley Travel, I, uh, I went into this leadership meeting and the, the finance director got up and said, our EBITDA is up 6% and everyone smiled. And I thought, EBITDA, wha? you know, <laughs> what are you talking about? Luckily, uh, someone explained it to me and I Googled it. But um, in learning what is the difference, you know, revenue is different than profit, is different than share price, is different than, um, you know, quarterly reports. What, what do they tell us? The more that you understand the business in which you operate, first of all, the better you can talk to the finance people and sales people so that they know you speak their language. Um, but if your company is expanding, uh, fantastic. Are they investing in more people or in more materials? Are you downsizing? Is there a disruptive force that is um, hurting you if you're a classic blue chip and you've got a startup going against you, the more you understand the financial mechanisms that go on in your company, the better you can position yourself to help in whatever way is most useful for compliance based on the company's current situation. Great.
0: Great. So if you're just tuning in, you're listening to First Talk Compliance. And my guest today is Christy Grant Hart, founder and CEO of Spark Compliance Consulting about the brand new book, How to Have a Wildly Successful Career in Compliance. I've really found this next chapter so interesting, Ask For It, that deals with women and negotiations. Why do you feel that you needed to address this topic separately, and what tips do you have for women when they're negotiating for a job offer as opposed to everyone?
1: Well, there is definitely um, a whole chapter on negotiating for everyone, because obviously uh, negotiating for a job offer is critical, period. Um, right. And the reason that I decided to write a chapter specifically for women, and I've really wrestled with whether or not to do this, was I've read so much about the gender pay gap and about uh, women in business and what we can do ourselves to try to help that. There's lots of forces outside of us, but the ones we can control, we should. And one of the major ones is failure to negotiate. Um, There's been a lot of uh, research done on this where women tend to take the first offer or simply feel like they shouldn't ask for more. Uh, And that's true both when you negotiate originally and also for annual raises so one of the biggest things is to just understand that your counterparts, your male counterparts are likely to be negotiating and it is incumbent on you to try as well because the worst thing you end up with is the same offer you started with, right? And over time, that one or 2% difference over 10 years can be huge amounts of money if it multiplies um, year on year that your base salary is lower, not going up as fast. And that contributes to the wage gap. So I think it's critically important. Another thing that was found that I included in this chapter is that, according to a couple of interesting studies out of Silicon Valley, women would uh, apply for a job when they have 95 to 100 percent of the skills that are listed, and men would apply if they only have so they know they can take the stretch assignment or tell people they can learn, whereas women wait until they're completely ready. And that, over time again, makes it so that women don't get into the senior positions as quickly as they might otherwise. So the, uh, the knowledge that this is uncomfortable, but you should anyway is, I think, really empowering, or at least it was to me in my career. I found that
0: so interesting. I've, I've heard that study before, and part of me thinks, gosh, there goes those men. You know, they they think they can they could just do that. And then on the other hand, I think, well, why why can't we do that? Just go ahead and and go for it. If you think that if you have part of the knowledge, you can just figure it out. You can just figure
1: out the rest. Everyone else does. Well, we all have it's, to just. And frankly, I think it's sometimes yeah. just giving ourselves permission to try. Right. And. Yeah. If you fail, okay, well, you've probably had to go study up on sanctions or whatever it is. So you've learned something, you've met a new manager, or you've practiced your interviewing skills, you've thought about, you know, redoing your resume, all of these kinds of things can actually position you even better next time. So there's really no harm in trying. There is no harm in trying. So why not
0: just go for it? Exactly. So why is collaboration so important for a compliance professional and a corporate compliance function?
1: I think the collaboration is one of the most important keys to doing well in your career. And I think it's incredibly undervalued. Um, compliance can easily become a silo. And when it's that way, it really can't be as effective as it should be. So instead of having turf wars, it is the best use of your time to try to figure out how to work effectively, particularly with your partners in internal audit, human resources, procurement, with managers. Um, but working across the the HR, the, the internal audit boundaries is so important. Those people have knowledge you need and you have knowledge they need. So the more you can collaborate effectively, the more likely you are to get what you need done.
0: So what if you are coming in and you are the very first person? I know that you've been in this position. That's why you know, you're the <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> So you're the brand new person, you know, the new kid on the block coming in and your compliance is a brand new position and HR has been there for ages and you're the brand new person coming in. How do you go about setting this up or, you know, do you have a meeting with HR
1: and say, you know, how you know how are we going to work together? Absolutely. I I think that one of the most important things you can do across all of those kinds of functions is particularly HR and legal, that becomes another big one where they've been doing all this work, uh, is to say, here, I'm here to help. I'm here to be on team company. And these are the areas that I've been tasked with. But I really want to make sure you and I have clarity on how we should work together. And I want your input on that. So I've been tasked with whistleblower hotline responses, but a lot of those calls are HR related. So how do you think we should work together? You know, Can I see those reports once you've done the investigation to make sure that it's closed out? Or if there is a code of conduct violation as well as a harassment complaint, uh, maybe I'll take that piece and we can talk every other week about where the investigation is, what you found out, how your interview went, maybe we can co-interview. Whatever that kind of delineation is, The sooner you have that so that there are expectations about how this relationship will work, the easier it will be when you're in a live situation and people are tended to want to protect their turf. You'll have an agreement already about how this should work, and that can make things much easier to handle. So how important
0: do you think it is to plan for your career, and how do you do that?
1: Well, I mean, I think it's absolutely critical. There's a big difference between saying, in five years, I want to be a chief compliance officer, and in five years, I want to be the chief compliance officer of Disney in their LA office, right? (laughs) I think that there's a huge difference between uh, that kind of specificity and simply knowing the direction you want to go in, which is really what I would uh, suggest. So by thinking about where you want to be in one, three, five years, you can start doing now what will get you where you want to go. So we were talking at the beginning about somebody in financial services, and let's say that that person decides that actually they're really interested in technology. Well, next time they're at a conference, maybe they spend some more time talking to the vendors that are doing Online training or that are selling, you know, whistleblower hotline management systems and new investigation tools and making those relationships uh, so that when that person decides maybe it's time for me to get out and to develop something new or to work in sales of this type of work, you've got a relationship. Or if you want to go from healthcare to financial services, you know, studying those those regulations, maybe getting a magazine or starting to read a blog on a regular basis that focuses on the regulations you'll need to know, uh, the more that you can think about where you want to go, the more you can do the kind of meet and greet stuff as well as teach yourself what you'll need to learn and how you'll need to show it in order to go where you want to go next
0: what can you do to raise your
1: profile in compliance and why does it matter to do so? Well, I think that the first thing is to acknowledge it's important, right? Um, I think a lot of people who have been um, in the compliance function feel like they can't say anything. They don't wanna misrepresent their company. They don't want anybody to accuse them of telling things they shouldn't tell. But it doesn't have to be that way. Uh, You know, if something as simple as commenting online, on articles or um, being part of speaking panel somewhere, it can really raise your profile. And here's why that's important. If your resume comes across the desk of somebody and they've never heard of you, it's very different than, oh my gosh, yes, I saw Sheila on that panel out there in that conference. She was terrific. Or, you know what? Every time I read those anti-bribery articles, uh, Robert's uh, saying really intelligent stuff. I totally would like to meet him. Um, I think that that profile raising helps people know who you are, whether it's speaking, writing, being engaged in the community, maybe even sharing content that you think is interesting on LinkedIn. Uh, All of that can really make people know who you are and put you in a position where you're more likely to be considered if you are going for a promotion or if you are simply trying to meet the movers and shakers in the industry that they have interacted with you, whether uh, you know online at Twitter or on LinkedIn or in person at different events.
0: So it's more about making your personal brand being a little bit more recognizable and your reputation.
1: So that yeah, absolutely, recognizable. Okay. Yep. For sure.
0: Okay. We've heard that mentors can really help your career, but sometimes it feels that they're
1: hard to get. Do you have any tips about How to do that? Sure. I think the most important thing is to not send an email sending, selling a, will you be my mentor? That is is not a good way to go about it. There has to be some kind of natural energy between you and the person that you want to mentor you. Uh, I think if you're looking for somebody very high level or who is very, very busy or popular, one of the best things is to ask something very specific. So something like, can I meet with you so you can maybe help me understand how to get in the executive development program? Or can you introduce me to people uh, in the compliance world in Wisconsin? That's where I went to college and I'm going back for a weekend. Um, Can you you know, introduce me to the head of sales? It would be really helpful for me to develop that relationship. and, And clearly you have a good one with her. I think that the more you can ask for something specific, the more likely you are to engage that person's energy to say, okay, I can help you with that thing as opposed to a sort of amorphous, what do you mean by mentoring? The next thing I would say is to make sure you have a follow-up. So say, you know, I'm going to Wisconsin this weekend. I've been in touch with Barry. Uh, I'll let you know how it goes the week after I get back. Or I've applied for the executive development uh, program. I'll, I'll let you know how it goes or if I get in. So that kind of expectation of a continuing relationship that's specific to what they helped you with can really begin to move those wheels. And when you've done what they say or what they suggested or followed up the way you said you would, that can make them feel like they want to keep helping because it makes everyone feel good when their advice is heated or when the things that they uh, told you to do, you've done and that's helped you to be successful. Great. And I
0: really like how you have specific tips because everybody, I think people really enjoy helping. But if you have very vague, when a person has very
1: vague questions, nobody knows how to help. And I think will you go to coffee with me and can I pick your brain are two of the most poorly chosen phrases with someone who knows you are important. (laughs) I mean, I I sometimes, uh, I get those emails, you know, can I talk to you? Yeah, okay. A lot of times I say yes, and I end up with somebody on the phone going, well, can you tell me about, you know, your career? I'm like, God, I've written three books, you know what I mean? (laughs) Go read them and then talk to me about how I can really specifically help you to write an article or to meet someone that could be useful to you, you know. That's the kind of thing, at least from my perspective, um, Mm -hmm. not only that works with with working with me, but for me, I have mentors, right? And I look right. at them um, and say, how can I interact with that person so she's or he is interested in helping me? And, and it's really, it's a strategy and being strategic about it can make it much more successful.
0: Right. And it's, then it's helpful for that person. And it's helpful for you. Then you both, both have a successful time together. I
1: you know I have, a, I have a really strong personal commitment that I I hope everyone can take on, which is always be a mentor and always be a mentee. So that at every stage in your career, you're helping someone else up, but you're also learning from someone above you. And and the more that we commit to that, the more knowledge sharing we have, the more helpful we can be to each other. And and that cycle continues, which I think is incredibly important. It's wonderful. That's great. Great. So
0: what if someone has read your book, they've taken... Your advice, and they have gotten a job offer, and now they're at a point and they say, Ah, oh, how do I know if this job is right for me? What considerations should a person take into account when deciding whether to take a job or not? Yes, well, first,
1: you know, congratulations to you for getting through the interviews. Right. Um, I think that it is really easy to just get excited about a job and say, Oh my gosh, it's, I've been offered it, yay. We're actually, uh, you really need to look at the framework and the structure of whether or not you'll be set up to succeed. If they have no budget for compliance, they expect you to do training, but there's no budget for the e-training or for webinars or for travel, you are being set up to fail. If you don't have enough human resource to help, if you're being asked to run a program for 100,000 employees and it's just you, you are not set up to succeed. And so I think that really thinking about the structure of the program, is there enough to make it go well for you? One of my mentors, as we were just talking about, she said of her first job that she was asked to put together a compliance program with duct tape and bubble gum, which I just I love that metaphor. It's like mm-hmm. you're trying to stick it all together, right? Um, right. So if you can look at that and think about it, I think it's critical, but also look at mandate. Is the CEO or the top of the business saying, you, employee base, must listen to compliance? There's a huge difference between sending an email saying, you must do your training or your bonus will be affected versus you sending an email saying, pretty, pretty, please, no, really, can you please, please do your training? Ultimately, that makes all the difference as to whether you can be successful. So really think about that as well as the culture as it is now you may be brought in as a change agent, but it will take time. And are you happy there in the meantime, as you make those changes, because they'll be incremental. And if you're not going to be okay now, don't take it.
0: Okay, great advice. So I love your book, but I'm sure that a lot of people would be listening want to get their hands on your book as well. So
1: where is your book available? It's available basically everywhere. You can, uh, most people get it from Amazon, either hard copy or, um, on Kindle. But any bookstore you walk into, uh, most of them won't carry compliance related books somehow. Um, but if you ask for it, you can usually get it next day delivery. So it should be available anywhere where great books are sold. All right. So where
0: then can people go for more info then on you?
1: Uh, so my personal blog is www.compliancechristy, which is K-R-I-S-T-Y uh, dot com. I blog, I put out uh, one minute the effective compliance officer tips of the week every week there. And my company's website is sparkcompliance.com. You can always email me at Christy, K-R-I-G-H, uh, K-R-I-S-T-Y-G-H at sparkcompliance.com. And I'll be happy to uh, talk to your audience. I love your tip of the week. I watch it every week. It comes right to your, <laughs>
0: right to my email. I do. I watch it. It it takes just, you know, it's about what thirty seconds or
1: so. They're all one minute or five. less. They yes. average, uh, they average fifty seconds actually. I've done a hundred and four okay. of them, if you can possibly imagine at this point. Holy mackerel! Okay.
0: that's great. <laughs> okay, well, it has been a real pleasure. So, thank you so much for joining us on First Talk Compliance. So, thank, thank you, you so much for having me. And thanks to our audience for tuning in to First Talk Compliance. You can learn more about our show on the program's page on healthcarenowradio.com and lend your voice to the conversation on Twitter at FirstHCC or hashtag FirstTalkCompliance. You can also email me at Short at firsthcc.com. I'm Catherine Short of First Healthcare Compliance. Remember... Compliance is the key to achieving peace of mind.